Welcome to Emil Franzink's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And welcome to another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander, along with Bunker de France here. Todd Roberts, I don't know if... Are you here, Todd? Todd is not here. He's somewhere else. He's supposed to be in... Well, he probably is in Los Angeles, but who knows? Who knows? Even when he's in Los Angeles, he's not always there. True. Uh, Today's (laughs) program, it's a goodie, man. We've got... We've got a, a, a friend of the show here. A frequent uh, visitor. A frequent visitor, uh, South Dakota historian Bill Markley. And uh, he's written a bunch of books, member of the Western Writers of America. And the book we're going to talk about today is uh, Leaders of the Legendary West. It's about Geronimo and Sitting Bull. Oh, I thought it was Squatting Calf. Yeah, okay. You, you got the... Uh, That's the young version. You got the... Uh, I got the kids version. Yeah, you got the kids version there. Um, uh, <laughs> see what I have to work with here. Uh, so, uh, so Bill, <laughs> I know. So, Bill, you had uh, Stuart Rosebrook, uh, another friend of ours from True West Magazine, says that this book is dramatic and thought-provoking. That readers of Markley's poignant dual biography will reference it for years to come, while eagerly awaiting the next entry in his series. True, true. Good stuff, man. Four hundred and seventy pages, and it's. It's every one of them's interesting. All right. Well, well, first, uh, thanks for having me back on your show. I, oh yeah. I thought maybe you guys wouldn't have me back after the last time, but uh. no, we've gotten over that. <laughs> well, we, we uh, to be honest, Bill, we couldn't get anybody else this Saturday. Who can we who can we suck in here? Yeah, Boggs dumped out on us. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and a pain gig. I probably owe Stewart, uh, you know, a drink or two for putting. The, the nice uh, quote on the back of the book. I, I'm sure um, you do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was um, it's it was uh, very interesting research for me to do. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you know, I number one, I'm not uh, Native American. I'm not I'm not Lakota. I'm not Apache, and uh, I never. Once thought that I knew the the intricacies, the nuances of their cultures, mm-hmm. so it was probably the most difficult book I've written to date. In that, I, I really needed to learn as much as I could about the Chiricahua culture and as much as I could about the uh, Papa Lakota culture, and they're both totally different from American culture and um, and different from each other, uh, just as much as. Uh, you know, the, the uh, mainstream American culture is different from them. They're different from each other. So um, it's very interesting to, to dig into that. I think the counterpoint is what really makes the book work because there is that, there is that they're both indigenous, yet they're, they're, they're separate, yet their problems are the same, yet they're different but the same, and, and they're going through the same opposition, you know, mm-hmm. like a corrupt uh Sneaky, lying European government, right? You know, it's our, it's our, it's America's legacy, and we're still suffering mm-hmm. from all the Euro mm-hmm. trash that came over here. And I say that because yeah. I'm Cherokee and Poetan and, and <laughs> Basque, so I can I can I can bad I can bad mouth both sides. You can bad mouth them all. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 my family was kicked out of Europe too, so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's your your Europeans. You ruined America. Well, yeah. what what prompted what Bill? What prompted this particular study of 
these two particular Indian leaders? Well, um, uh, for the, the listeners out there, I, I've been doing a series of books. Uh, the publisher, Two Dot, asked me to do a series of books comparing Old West characters. So uh, the first book was comparing White Earp to Bat Masterson. The second book uh, went, went to the uh, opposite extreme in The Outlaws, Billy the Kid and Jesse James. Mm-hmm. And so then they, they, they told me I could come up with the next pair. And I thought... I, I thought we really need to to cover uh, the Native Americans and and from as much as possible from their viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And so I thought two of the most well known, whether you like them or not, two of the most well known uh, leaders out there, uh, Sitting Bull and Geronimo. Mm-hmm. And so I I pitched that idea to Two Dot, and they said, "Yeah, go go for it." Okay. So um, so yeah, so it's those two men. And again, in, in telling their lives, you really have to tell the, the, what their culture was like. Yes. And, um, you can't tell the story and, without you it. Know, some things they did back then that uh, today we probably would think are, you know, are not right, but it was you know, how they perceived the world and what they did. And um, you know, who's to say 100 years from now people won't? think the way we do things and say things are, mm-hmm. are wrong. Well, so, that's part um, of the problem with revision, so-called revisionist history, that, uh, you know, th- these things occurred, and you look at the times in which these things occurred, mm-hmm. and what the social mores of the time were, you know, you can't apply 21st century things to the 19th century. You can't it, watch a 1929 movie with a 2022 it, eye. That dog just don't hunt. I yeah, mean, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things too is is that the these two their cultures being so separate, but at the same time, when you when you get into them, you realize that so much of their actions were reactions. Yeah, you know, they they were you know they were just they were protecting what they had and their way of life, and the opposition was relentless. It was grinding. Right. Right, and um, if you want, I, I actually pulled this out. I have two quotes that I think really uh, uh, bring home um, that point that you just said, Bunker. Uh, Sitting Bull said, uh, this is his quote, we will avoid them, speaking of the Army, we will avoid them if we can, if we cannot, we will fight. And then Geronimo uh, said, we thought it more manly to die on the warpath than to be killed in prison. Mm-hmm. That so, sounds like your dedication. It, it was. <laughs> but <laughs> that's great, though. It's a great quote. But I thought, you know, those really, those, I think those really drive home the point that, uh, you know, the, these leaders and their people, they just wanted to continue along their traditional ways of life, whether you know we thought their way of life was correct or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine somebody coming to you and telling you that, um, that the way you've lived your life uh, is wrong, mm-hmm. your religion is wrong, uh, your your language is wrong, and, um, and that's what was happening to these people. And it's what's happening in America today with the political parties. Indeed. Todd Roberts is with us. Howdy, Todd. Okay. I am well, sir. How are you? There you are. And I, I apologize, uh, Mr. I, I apologize, Mr. Markey, for being tardy. You should. But I'll blame it on Nola because we oh, we went rat. to uh, Gilbert's <laughs> El Indio Mexican food, and of course she 
had to push things and we had too many margaritas. Ah, so, uh, you had to twist your arm on the, the uh, margaritas, I know. Yeah. We, we're lucky. Yeah. We're lucky we made it out of the parking lot. <laughs> I um, see. As two consulting <laughs> adults. Um, but I have excuse. to ask you, and I, I'm sorry to cut straight to the meat of the issue, but there's two things I have big questions about both of your subjects, Geronimo and Sitting Bull. We'll start with Geronimo. You know, Geronimo had more than the name Geronimo. He had other names. Really, They're Geronimo okay. was, If tell me where I'm wrong or right, but Geronimo was the name he was given by the Mexicans and the Spanish uh, federales. And what was his name that he was called by other Apaches? And what was the name he was called by white Anglo settlers? Yeah, uh, and I'll probably butcher it, but I think it was like Gacoya or something like that. But um, well, yeah, I'm not good at pronouncing yes, uh, uh, it. it. It means. Uh, there's a couple different ways of meaning for it. Uh, one is uh, he who yawns or he who has his mouth open too much, uh, meaning that you know maybe he talked too much. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but Geronimo uh, or Geronimo, as uh, Mexicans would say, was the the name that was given to him uh, by by the Mexicans, right? Now the story about you know how that came about was supposedly. Uh, he was uh, killing off a whole bunch of uh, Mexican soldiers, and they were crying out to St. Jerome, or, you know, and somehow or another, that's how it, it morphed into Geronimo. Whether well, it was somebody falling off a rock. Yeah. Geronimo! <laughs> Jumping out of well, an airplane. <laughs> no. We can get into all those stories, too, but I think it's also interesting that um, Edwin <clears throat> Sweeney, I don't know if you've read his yes. books, but he... he, he um, had found an, a really obscure reference to uh, Geronimo being called Geronimo as uh, a, a, a young man, a young boy, uh, as they were drawing rations from, from the Mexicans. Hmm. So maybe uh, he was actually given that name by the Mexicans be, before the hmm. um, you know that battle scenario. Interesting. Um, it's one possibility. You know, you gave us two quotes. I want to give a quote here because I think it really, in a, in a sense, sets up what's happen, what's going to happen here with us. And uh, this is from a young Indian boy. He said, words spoken by Kewakla, a young Apache boy during the early years of Arizona Territory. And the words are, until I was about 10 years old, I did not know that people died except by violence. That is because I am an Apache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. The violence, um, you know, with with the Mexicans. For well, actually, first the Spanish, and then when Mexico uh, won their independence, and the Mexicans, and then later on, uh, the Americans that uh, came into the territory. Um, you know, w- with the Americans, they they had peace at first until. Um, until basically we blew it, as we frequently did back then. Well, part of wasn't that part of it because you know that was leading up to the Mexican War, and they saw them, they saw the Americans as a, uh, in a sense, fighting a common foe. Correct. Yeah, um, they did, and and uh, uh, focusing on Geronimo, I mean, he was very. Very, very friendly with the, the Americans at first, and um, 
thought they were great, great guys. The Boundary Commission that was coming through, um, you know, he traded with them and uh, hated to see him go. Well, you know, that's too. That's that was because that's part of the the Apache culture was uh, tribute. You know, the Spaniards set that up early on because they're being raiding people. Uh, tribute is a wonderful thing because you don't have to raid to get what you want. Sure. Well, let, let's talk about the the cultures of uh, both the Apache and the Lakota. Uh, it, it, you mentioned that they were different, yet some things overlap. And I would imagine that the things that overlap are the fact that this is our land and it's being taken from us. Those things would overlap. What What are some other uh, possible overlaps uh, among those or in those cultures? Well, I th- I think one of the main ones was uh, uh, warrior society. I mean, the mm-hmm. the men, you know, were, were the the warriors were were the hunters, and uh, you know, the, the women. Uh, took care of the the home front, and um, and in fact, in both cultures, I, I think it's interesting. The uh, the the their dwellings um, were considered the domain of the women instead of the men, and, hmm. uh, and so so there was a division of of labor between men and women mm-hmm. um, in, in both societies. I, I think it's also interesting that uh, they both saw uh, the number four. Uh, as a yeah. sacred number, which, yeah. is, which is interesting to me. Why is that? Um, I, I don't know. Well, I think you possibly say that it's the four because directions. of the four directions? Oh, ah, okay. Yeah, the four directions. And also the uh, circle, because the four, circle is four directions. Okay. Inside, yeah, inside the four, uh, the circle is the four directions, of course. Yeah. So, and then, would you uh, also say, Bill, that, uh, that Geronimo... Um, you know, there's always been this story about the last days of Geronimo before the surrender, when they finally came in. Many uh, people have told me that the surrender was really negotiated by the women who were left in the group. It was down to less than 40 people. Is that your, does your research tell you that? No, I guess I had not heard that. Um, Now, I know that um, the women... Um, and I can't remember the town. You know, two of the women went into town to to um, buy supplies, and the Mexi- And this is in Mexico. The Mexicans were allowing them to come in because you know they were hoping, uh, as they've done in the past, to, to trick them all in the town, and then they could you know kill and capture them. And so they allowed these two women to come into town, and while they were there, then. Uh, the Americans got in contact with them and uh, invited them back to the camp. And, um, you know, eventually they uh, followed the trail back to the camp, and that's when, um, you know, they started the negotiations. Then. Was this uh, in 1879? No, no, no. This, uh, I, I thought you were probably talking the last, um, the last. Yes, the, ver- the very last days of him being wild out on the prairie. Grand yeah, that, that was, those were the, that was the last surrender that that okay. took place. Well, you know, talking about similarities, too, is that uh, after after both of them had uh, left the war path, so to speak, they both advocated a culturization as a way of their people adapting, but in a way that 
honored and respected their people, not a, you know, not giving into the government system. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it, it was a little of both in that, um, you know, they just like anybody, if, if you see something that's going to um, improve your life, uh, whether it's the, you know, the latest gadget or whatever, you know, they, they would, um, you know, look into those things. But then at the same time, they wanted to keep their traditions too. Both of those men worked hard to their traditions to try to, you know, hold the hold their their tribes together. Uh, you know, after they had been, uh, you know, surrendered, if you will, to the to the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. And you're another. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, yeah, you know, I don't want to focus too much on Geronimo all the time, but he he was pretty good after. Um, you know, after he was living in Florida and uh, the other places, Fort Sill and that sort of thing, he would—he was a—he was an entrepreneur. He would oh, yeah. uh, make, mm -hmm. uh, you know, artifacts or, or what you know, um, uh, handicraft items and you know, canes and his pictures. And he learned how to sign his name and sell he would buttons. sell these things. There's uh, yeah. a story. He was on the train and. Uh, He'd get off at different train stations, and you'd be wearing a hat, and people would want to buy his hat. He would say five dollars, and they'd buy the hat, and then he'd go back on the train and dig through his trunk and pull out another hat and do yeah. the same thing at the <laughs> next train station. Nice. So uh, he he uh, tried to work the system that way. And and when Sitting Bull was with um, <clears throat> Buffalo Bill's Wild West, mm -hmm. uh, he also s learned how to. Uh, write his name, sold his autograph, pictures, and uh, and handicraft items too. So they were, you know, they knew what a dollar was, and they would, you know, try to, just like anybody else, uh, get some so they could buy the things that they wanted. We got to do our first commercial break. We're talking with Western Writers of America author Bill Markley. The book is Geronimo and Sitting Bull: Leaders of the Legendary West. It's put out by uh, Two Dot Publishing. It's uh, out in paperback now, and you can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Roman and Littlefield, and probably at Markley's website as well. We're going to be back with much more of Amal Franzi's and the book festival, which they'll be at uh, coming up uh, next month. As a matter of fact. So, we got to do our first commercial break here. We'll be back with much more of Amos Franzi's Voices of the West right after these important messages. Stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West where a large number of Westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities 
activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform. Let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Imus Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tankaverde Road in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. You're darn tootin'. Yes, sir, Bob. This is the Voices of the West. <laughs> Heavy doom doom behind it. Yeah. Welcome back to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker DeFrance is here. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Our guest is uh, Bill Markley. Yeah. A good friend of our program. And uh, we're talking about uh, his latest book. I got it, I got it all over here. My stuff is all over the place. Thank you. Geronimo and Sitting Bull, leaders of the legendary West. You know, you were talking about uh, about the gentleman, and one of the things in your book that really impressed me about Sitting Bull is when he was with Buffalo Bill, and he would go out on the, you know, when they weren't performing, he would go out on the streets and give give money to the kids, you know, and, and he marveled, he, he said, you know, what is with these people? They have all of this wealth and everything, and they have this poverty. And I thought, yeah, you know, that is it. And then it made me think also of this, is that uh, that the Americans seemed, those that were inclined, which was the majority, to hate the Indian 24-7. The Indian only, only hated the Americans when they were fighting them. As soon as they weren't fighting them, they'd, you know, they'd get along with them. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. I and um, I think that really showed the character of the man, where he would go out and he would see these poor little kids running around, and he would he would give them money and, and candy and that sort of thing, whatever he had in his pockets, and he cared for them. And I just really think it shows the character of the man. I think it's great doing that. And Geronimo loved kids too. Uh, yeah. In fact, so uh, his uh, when they were um, oh in captivity, uh, when when schools were set up, he would go in and, and um, basically be the principal for the kids. You know, make make sure the boys stayed in line and the hall and, monitor. Uh, wow. <laughs> that'd, that'd be I'm cool. Sorry, yeah. The hall monitor. Yeah. <laughs> this right veterinarian, nice. yeah. Well, you know, this, this so, is a thing, too. Here so, Bill... They both the, d- d- demonstrated well, hey, military hey, and really... Hang on, Todd's got a question. Oh, go ahead, Todd. I'm sorry. So, Bill... Um, thank you, guys. Um, so, Bill, you know, I, I don't want to be negative, but I want you to broach into, if you're willing, and if you you have the, the thoughts on it... Um, to talk about how, you know, it's always been said how brutal the Apache were to their prisoners and their victims in torture. But to explain that properly would be that I, what I learned later was that they tortured them to gather their medicine and their, their stalwartiness, their virility, their bravery. In other words, if the victim did not yell out, then that person was very worthy uh, as an opponent, and they wanted their medicine. If the person screamed out, then they were worthless, and uh, they deserved to die. Uh, of course, both scenarios led to death for the victim. But I wanted to know if you were willing to chat about that a little. Yeah, and it is um, <clears throat> it's a difficult subject because um, they did I mean they did some horrible things and uh, I of course there were horrible things done on on every which side too uh, but there, there was brutality there there horrible things done and I I didn't sugarcoat anything in the book no. and so when there was brutality I, I show that just because it it happened and it was there I'm not gonna you know, exclude it because it didn't. But it, it's it's very interesting too that the the Apaches uh, didn't like to touch dead bodies. Yep. I mean, um, and then also uh, it's interesting the scalping that you know that really kind of started with the Mexicans because they were taking scalps for bounties and and so the Apaches would do that, but they wouldn't keep the scalps; they toss them away. It was just kind of a meaning thing that they did to, to uh, it was kind of their, disgusting their foes that they were battling. Yeah. Whereas with the Lakota, again, kind of a different culture, they would take a scalp as, uh, you know, as something as uh, to, you know, as an honorable thing to, the, to show that they had um, overcome a foe. Um, so, it was um, an interesting. yeah, and, and there was, you know, every which way on every side. There was brutality and and uh, torturers and, and those sorts of things. You know, as a side note to all of this, if you go back to James Fenimore Cooper and the Leatherstocking Saga, that's a theme that plays throughout the stories of you know being stoic when you're being tortured because uh, either you either you were showing how strong and brave you were, and they respected that as opposed to 
you know, the whimpering Elisha Cook version of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I do. I don't think I do very well under torture. <laughs> <laughs> mommy, mommy. <laughs> uh, so would you one, say? I think one of the things, would, you know, people well, really need. I mean, they just need to know the history uh, unabashed. You know, the how how things happened every which way and uh, you know the good and the bad and uh, and that's why I try to portray in the book oh, Custer was a poppin' Jay <laughs> <laughs> well for some he was and for some he wasn't oh, uh, Dull, Dull Knife him. did not think he was his poppin' Jay uh, so and you know the crow loved him but the Sioux hated him well, but would you say side. Uh, would you say uh, Bill that is it true that you believe or do not believe that a sitting bull was, shall I say, assassinated? That they had to kill him Murder. to kill the spirit of the of the ghost dance? Oh, well, that's, I don't know that I put it that way, but um, it's kind of a complicated subject. And it's a sad story, and it should never have happened. Um but James McLaughlin, the the agent at Standing Rock at That's the time, the uh, it was, I would say, kind of a power struggle between McLaughlin and Sitting Bull. I mean, most of the Lakotas still considered Sitting Bull a leader. McLaughlin was trying to come up with other men to act as the leaders. So it was, I would say that, uh, you know, Sitting Bull was kind of the leader of the uh, traditional. Lakota way of looking at things and he was his his cabin was built about 30 miles away from Fort Yates and Standing Rock, the agency there and so he, he put some distance between himself and, and uh, McLaughlin but uh, when the the ghost dance came about um, most of the the, reser- the Great Sioux Reservation was broken up into smaller reservations and so mm-hmm. the ghost dance was taking place on all the reservations in uh, in the uh, South Dakota and North Dakota, uh, ex- by now it's eighteen. You know, after eighteen eighty nine, had our statehood, two states. But the, the ghost dances had come in from um, uh, the, the the Paiutes of Lavoca, I believe his name was. Anyway, um, all the reservations had ghost dance going on, except for Standing Rock. Uh, they for they didn't have any interest in it for a while but then uh they they started hearing uh these stories of uh, people seeing their dead ones and uh, sitting bull had lost a daughter that he he loved very much uh that he wanted to go see the ghost dance at the, the cheyenne river agency and mclaughlin wouldn't let him go see it and so sitting bull said well if we can't go see it let's bring it here so he invited some of the <laughs> Ghost dancers up. Uh, they they danced at Standing Rock there uh, at, at on the, the uh, Grand River where where uh, Sitting Bull was at. Um, he danced the dance once, didn't see anything, didn't do anything. He he thought it was a, you know basically a bunch of malarkey. And, but uh, there was a lot of people that did see things. They claimed they did see things, and so he allowed the dance to continue. Now the a lot of the the local settlers um, started worrying that this was going to be some sort of violent 
uh, occurrence, the, the ghost dance. They uh, started, you, you know, contacting uh, politicians, and um, and the the papers started, um, you know, making a big deal of it. Hysteria. And uh, the government uh, sent to McLaughlin. They said, "Send us a list of the ghost dance troublemakers." Well, McLaughlin put Singbull at the top of the list. Um, they decided they wanted to arrest him, so so that it would end the ghost dance on Standing Rock. Uh, General Nelson A. Miles uh, sent Buffalo Bill out to um, to um, uh, bring Sitting Bull in, and uh, when McLaughlin found out about it, he wrote directly to the President of the United States. Uh, the President rescinded. Uh, Cody's uh, mission, and so he never got. He would, I'm sure he would have been able to bring in Sitting Bull without any problem because they were good friends. But uh, that didn't happen, and so then uh, McLaughlin. It, it's really a long, complicated story. The army was supposed to go in and arrest Sitting Bull, and McLaughlin uh, convinced the local uh, commander at Fort Yates. That to allow him to use his Indian police to go out and get Sitting Bull. So, uh, unbeknownst to the, the higher ups, uh, the, those two worked it out that uh, the uh, Indian police would go in and arrest Sitting Bull. The army would be, uh, you know, uh, 10, 15 miles away uh, and come in if needed. Um, the the uh, Indian police uh, went to Sitting Bull's house. Uh, got him up, said, you got to go to the agency. Uh, big crowd gathered outside, tempers flared, shots were fired, and people died, including Sitting Bull. So it was a tragedy that should never have happened. You know, an interesting side thing, and you can tell us about this because I think it's fascinating. Tell us about the horse that Buffalo uh, Bill gave Sitting Bull. It's a great story. Yeah, um... Uh, when Sitting Bull was in Buffalo's Wild West, uh, there was a horse that he always rode. He really liked that horse, and it was a trick horse that uh, <clears throat> could, you know, do various tricks, including sitting back on its haunches on the ground. And so Buffalo Bill gave Sitting Bull that horse, and it was, um, you know, his, his pet favorite horse. Well, anyway, while they were um, arresting him, at Standing Rock, so the story goes. I mean, there's, you know, people that say, "Oh, it didn't happen," but others say that it did. As they were saddling that horse for for um, Sitting Bull to get on, uh, the fight breaks out. The horse hears the shots and, and believes it's his cue to start acting, <laughs> and sits down on his haunches and raises his paw <laughs> and front hoof. Um, and so. Um, um, that's that story. Yeah. And the horse ended up eventually back with Buffalo Bill. And the right, Indians yeah, at the, at the scene, the they thought Buffalo Sitting Bull's spirit had gone into the horse. Interesting. <clears throat> we got. Uh, I'm sorry, what? Go ahead. Huh? Finish off your thought. Wait. Oh, I did. Did, he, did you get he, it? No, he didn't. Hear oh, okay. Yeah, just that, uh, you know, the like I said, that the horse went, ended up with Buffalo Bill eventually and but the, the indians at the at the scene when all that happened a lot of them thought that sitting bull's spirit had gone into the horse mm. that that was yeah that was 
one of the stories. I, I don't know. Well, oh, you're talking about, um, yeah, it was claimed that the uh, the Indian police uh, thought that his spirit had gone into the horse. That, that was one. Yeah. You know, as in any story, there's a variety of versions of, of stories of things that, and they go on, depending on who's telling the story. All right, we got to do our next commercial break here. Yay. Our guest is Bill Markley, South Dakota historian, and we are talking about uh, Sitting Bull and Geronimo. We'll be back with much more of Amal Franzi's Voices of the West with Harry Alexander, Bunker DeBrance, and Todd Roberts right after these messages. Stay tuned. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horses Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. You've got some cattle you want rustled, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. Little lady up the road a piece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step nearer and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal, but you need the right henchman to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but like henchmen to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scrappy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. And that's just a gentle hench. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a rent to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Red Hench, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. Mort, 
This is the sweetest setup I've ever had in my life. I'll loan her the money we get from selling her own cattle. And when these suckers go broke fighting each other, you and I move in and take over most of the valley. <laughs> this is the Voices of the West. back on Emil Franzi's The Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker de France. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Our guest is uh, South Dakota historian Bill Markley, and uh, we're talking about uh, the book about uh, Geronimo and Sitting Bull, leaders of the legendary West. And we're moving in, Harry and I, and taking over the valley. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Which valley is that? Whatever valley, the valley happens of to be despair. Whatever valley that happens to open up ah, to us. Yes, yes. <laughs> I always thought it was. I thought it was the valley of drunkards. Well, that too. That's your valley. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and you're invited anytime, Bunker. Yeah, okay. Oh, you know, uh, Bill. You know, they. You know, both of these gentlemen ex- uh, demonstrated exceptional qualities as military and religious leaders, and. Uh, the military and religious aspects of their lives is very much intertwined. I mean, it's like so much of it, their actions is based on spirituality. Uh, yes, yes. Um, uh, <laughs> starting with um, Geronimo and, and uh, the Apaches, for those that don't know it, they're their concept of God, if you will, is uh, power, that there's a power out there, and certain individuals can get, can receive power. Uh, and it's not something that they ask for, it just comes to them. And, and so, Geronimo had uh, a power that, well, number one, um, when his uh, sister and uh, was delivering his nephew. She had a difficult childbirth, and uh, a, a voice came to him when he was out praying for her uh, the safe delivery of the child. Uh, a vo- voice came to him and said that he would never be killed in battle. Mm-hmm. And so people believed that he would never be killed in battle. He also had uh, the power to. Um, know what's going on at long distances away. At the same time, he was there like he, he would he would know what was going on maybe you know, 50, 60 miles away. And so these were things that people believed and they they followed him with those those um, that belief. Now Sitting Bull um, was considered a holy man and not like you know the the um, Oh, the traditional version of uh, of a um, medicine man or anything like that. He, you know, he wasn't really into you know healing people and that sort of thing. But he had a, a special connection uh, with Wankan Tonkin, the the creator, um, and he received several visions along the way that uh, became true, and people, um, you know, believed in in his. His special connection uh, to the, the Creator. Um, probably the most famous one is before the Battle of the Little Bighorn, where he, um, after he performed Sundance, uh, he had a 
a vision that uh, soldiers would be falling headfirst uh, into camp like grasshoppers falling from the sky. And uh, that was then uh, shown to be after Custer and his men uh, attacked the, the village along the Little Bighorn. So, uh, yeah, they did have special powers. Uh, they, they were both uh, considered warriors. Uh, you know, uh, was not a traditional uh, Apache leader, but people followed him because he did have these powers. And, um, and uh, whereas opposite with Sitting Bull, uh, he was a traditional leader and, uh, you know, a, a appointed to various leadership positions by by the Lakotas. Yeah, and there's an interesting thing there, too, is like with the Lakota, uh, they had hereditary leadership, whereas with the Apache, they didn't. And it was not uncommon at all for individuals in the Apache to go off raiding on their own without, you know, without going to council or anything, just taking off and doing what they were going to do. Right, yeah. I, I mean, they were uh, they were considered, uh, you know, really, uh, <clears throat> you know, fine uh, guerrilla yeah. uh, soldiers, really. I mean, they, they knew how to hit and run and... and um, and hide. <laughs> America's first ho- uh, uh, homeland security. <laughs> so, Bill, you know, there's always been this myth or legend or story, whatever you want to call it, about Sitting Bull's burial site. Because mm-hmm. when he died, the Sioux took him somewhere and buried him in the Black Hills that they still to this day have never divulged. And there's only a small circle of. Oh. Of Sue that think, still know where it is. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I think you got. I got. I think you got confused with Crazy Horse. Um, crazy Crazy Horse was. Um, no one knows exactly where his burial spot is, but Sitting Sitting Bull, um, his body was. Uh, McLaughlin wanted wanted him brought to Fort Yates one way or the other, and so they. They put his body in, in a wagon and um, and took him to Fort Yates and buried him there at Fort Yates in the military cemetery. But there, there's a whole I could spend an hour telling you about what happened to his body afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, you know, uh, it's like so. Can you go around. to see the burial site to this day? Yeah, there's a, yes, there's actually two burial sites because his body was dug up at Fort Yates back in the fifties. And brought to um, across from Mobridge, South Dakota. There, uh, the bones were buried under like, something like five tons of concrete or something like that, so nobody could dig them up. Mm-hmm. But there, there's there's always been a dispute um, that did they get the right bones or not? And uh, of course, I guess some on the sides they did. <laughs> but there's um, a lot of people that claim that they didn't get get the right. So he has two. Uh, one of the few people around that has two grave sites. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like it's like the story of Geronimo's skull too. You know, that's 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 a very disputed story. Right, right. Um, and and for those that don't know that, uh, the Yale, um, what are they called, the Bonesmen or something? It's the uh, uh, um, Bones and there, Bones. There was a Skull and Crossbones Society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. George. Bush's father, grandfather was. It's in my book. Yeah. <laughs> was um, yeah. Read the book. Of this bonesman. 
Society, and they went in and uh, allegedly stole uh, Geronimo's skull. And there was there was uh, a big court case on that thing, and and uh, never really did resolve whether they claim they don't have this skull. And um, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, here's another so, aspect, too, of, of the similarity, that both men sought refuge in another country, Geronimo heading to Mexico from time to time to, to get away from the Americans, or, com- or coming back to get away from the Mexicans, and Sitting Bull heading to Canada, which he kind of, he thought that was the cat's meow uh, when he got up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah Sitting Bull uh, crossing, they called it Grandmother's Line, the boundary between the U.S. and Canada, and when he crossed up, up there, uh, it, it worked for several years until um, you know the, the buffalo herd started yep. to diminish, and, and you uh, heard, the friend. Canadian government really I didn't want him there because you, you think you know the Lakotas that went up there uh, were what really kind of displacing some of the other tribes, and and the, the food resources were kind of dwindling, and and uh, then the the uh, Canadians stopped oh, uh, supporting them, here. so uh, they finally, you know, it was either starve or cross back into the United States and surrender. So um, he was one of the last ones to cross back over. There were a few that still stayed up there, but he was one of the last main leaders to cross over. Okay. And with Geronimo, yeah, he was um, he was always going back and forth across the border when when it suited him. All right, we got to do our final commercial break here. We're talking with author Bill Markley, and the book is about Geronimo and Sitting Bull, uh, the uh, leaders of the legendary West. <laughs> so we'll be back, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts, with much more of our show right after these very important messages. Do stay tuned. Don't run away. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 
727-1911. Imus Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tankerverde Road in Tucson. 520-777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Now, the way this story ends is that they get married. He goes on to become governor of the state. Never gets to Australia, but he keeps reading a lot of books about it. I get to be sheriff of this town. Then I go on to become one of the most beloved characters in Western folklore. This is the Voices of the West. most beloved character of the American West, Jack Elam, from Support Your Local Sheriff. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> he is beloved. He is. We are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. And as soon as I get him hooked back in, there he is. Sure. All right. Now, <laughs> Here. And, Hello, somebody. And our guest is Bill Markley in South Dakota. Cody. Boy, this is a worldwide program. Yes, we are. We come <laughs> coast to coast, border to border. And <clears throat> so, Bill, space. I have a question for you. Sure. What do you think would have happened if Sitting Bull would have lived? Where do you would he would he have created more assimilation into Anglo culture? Would he have become more of an icon, or is is his martyrdom bigger than himself? As is the in other words, is the legend bigger than the man, or the man bigger than the legend? Yeah. Um, the the more uh, I, I mean, I'd already known about single, but the more I studied him, I mean, <clears throat> the more I, I got to like him, and he was a great man, and he looked out for his people, and I think he would have continued fighting on uh, to uh, protect his people and uh, to uh, preserve their culture as much as he could. And again, it was just so unfortunate. It was something that should never have happened with him. Um, he was a great leader. Well, speaking of great men, Bill, what do you have lined up for the future? <laughs> well, um, it's a good transition there. Right? <laughs> you, yeah. You, well, you'll have to invite uh, Kellen Cutsforth and, and me back if you want, because we have a sequel to our Old West Showdown. Uh-oh. Oh, uh oh, yeah. It's Standoff at High you know, Noon. Like five, we have four or five of those now, right? Wow. We have uh, ten more controversial stories that we uh, tell in that book. Well, that'll take two hours. And then I've got <laughs> the fourth in the uh, Legendary West series. Uh, that'll be coming out in um, August, and that will be uh, Wild Bill Hickok and Buffalo Bill Cody. 
uh, when they were scouts in the plains. Cool. That's a good And I'll be down in your neck of the woods uh, for the the Tucson Book Festival, and I'll be with, um, uh, you know, Doug Hawkins, Amigos and Ladies of the West, uh, you know, Doug and Chris Entz and Lil Volk, and Manuel Schneider, who's all the way from Germany, she'll be coming, and Melody Groves, Phil Mills, Rod Tamanis. So we'll be there together, and you can buy all our books. Is that the most intrepid Western posse you're talking about? No, that's Chris. That that's Chris Entz's other group. Oh, thanks for the lead in there. You're um, in that though, right? Chris and uh, Phil Mills and, and I we're part of her. Pot, Phil and I are part of Chris's posse, <laughs> and we'll be at the Sun City Library on uh, March 9th uh, at 10 a.m. And then we'll also be there at the White Stallion Ranch um, uh, the next day. Um, in the evening, I think it's like eight o'clock p.m. on mm-hmm. the tenth. Is that a Saturday? So, no. Oh, okay. Uh, no, that's a Thursday. Yeah, we do. We uh, we do the show Thursday. out there on uh, the last Saturday of the month. We do our show out there. Okay. Movie Saturday for, at the White Stallion. Lots of oh, fun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you listen to the show, you'd know that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so anyway, uh, yeah, plenty, plenty going on, and um, great. It's going to be good to get back down to Arizona there for a little bit. Yeah, after not, out. Uh, well, you know, we didn't get to do any of this stuff last year because of the apocalypse. Yeah. So. Right. It gave me plenty of time to write. The apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a blast. Yeah. I always love that. All right. What else? What else? We got a couple more, oh, couple, couple more, more. minutes well, here. Let's let's talk about well, this. Do, do you want me to add? Yeah, go ahead. Can I read two things from the end of my book? Please. A statement from each of these guys, which I think sum up what they think of their people and yes. what they want to do. Please do. Okay. So you know, Geronimo wrote an autobiography, and uh, at the end, he's talking about Arizona, and he says, uh, "It is my land, my home, my father's land." to which I now ask to be allowed to return. I want to spend my last days there and be buried among those mountains. If this could not be, I might die in peace, feeling that my people, placed in their native homes, would increase in number rather than diminish as at present, and that our name would not become extinct. And then Sitting Bull said, uh, in front of the Senate Select Committee in 1883, he said, speaking of his people, the Lakotas, he said, I'm looking into the future for my children, and that is what I mean when I say I want my country taken care of for me. My children will grow up here, and I am looking ahead for their benefit and for the benefit of my children's children, too, even beyond that. And I I thought both those statements really sum up those men and what they wanted to see happen for their people. I just wish that the rest of American history could... uh write that view and and get that kind of information out because it's done a poor job of of educating. And you know, it's funny because right there towards the end of their life Geronimo is in the inaugural parade to Mm -hmm. Teddy Roosevelt and he's one of the hits at the parade and Sitting Bull is touring the east with the Buffalo Bill Wild West and that's a hit. You know, it's like they were already being accepted by the people who hated them. Exactly. Bill Markley, thank you so much. We're out of time. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Wonderful show. Great show.
Get the book. Absolutely. Indeed. I've got next, the book. You've got the book. Next uh, next time we get together, we're going to talk with uh, Larry Callies. He's the director of the Black Cowboy Museum in Texas. And so that's coming up uh, next on Amol Franzi's Voices of the West. Until uh, next Saturday. 78, 79, Lakota Adios. So long, everybody. And- Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.